It's a privilege for all of us to gather together and uh, to consider what it means to bear the name Jehovah's Witnesses. This name is unique. It uh, elicits from some commendation, from others uh, criticism and ridicule. Some people say, why do you have such a peculiar name? Why don't you have a name like other churches? Uh, one Catholic publication said num a number of years ago, Jehovah's Witnesses have no evidence whatsoever that Jehovah ever asked them to be his witnesses. In commenting on this, the Watchtower of 1944 says, that's true. He never did ask us. He commanded us to be his witnesses. The American author Chandler Sterling calls the taking of this name, according to his viewpoint, the greatest stroke of genius by Judge Rutherford, because it settled once and for all on the official name, and because all references to the idea of um, witness and witnessing in the Bible now could be interpreted to mean Jehovah's Witnesses. Another author, the book They Have Found a Faith, uh, Marcus Back stated, Rutherford played a master stroke when in 1931 he gave his people the name Jehovah's Witnesses. This title linked them with the biblical heroes. It likened them to Noah, Moses, David, Daniel, Isaiah. Wherever the word witness appears in the Bible, there the witnesses of today see their prototypes. But we might ask the question, was the taking of the name merely a stroke of genius on the part of one man? Was it Judge Rutherford that gave his people the name Jehovah's Witnesses? Now the Witnesses, uh, on the other hand, claim uh, divine direction in this matter. Back in 1964, at uh, one of the district conventions that year, the longtime witness, uh, Brother A.H. McMillan, was on the program, and he told of an event that Brother Rutherford had told him about back there in 1931. It was several months before the convention there uh, of 1931 when the name Jehovah's Witnesses was adopted. Brother Rutherford had told Brother McMillan that he woke up in the middle of the night while he had been, of course, during those weeks preparing the convention program, and he said to himself, what in the world did I suggest an international convention for when I have no special message for them? Why bring them all here? And then, according to uh, Brother Macmillan's account, Brother Rutherford began to think, and Isaiah 43 came to his mind. And right then and there, at 2 o'clock in the morning, Brother Rutherford got up, went to his desk, and in shorthand, he was an expert at writing shorthand, he wrote down the material that was later presented concerning the new name at uh, Columbus, Ohio. Brother Macmillan added to this account, there's no doubt in my mind, not then and now, that the Lord guided him in that, and that that is the name Jehovah wants us to bear. Now further, when the resolution was presented there in Columbus, Ohio, Brother Rutherford stated, We joyfully embrace and take the name which the mouth of the Lord God has named, and we desire to be known as and called by the name to wit Jehovah's Witnesses. So again we could ask the question, well, was the name gotten by divine direction or human genius. At the time the name was adopted, journalists and clergymen from various parts of the country stated that the name would not stick. Well, what does the evidence show? Has the name stuck? 
Are we living up to the name Jehovah's Witnesses? That's another question, of course, which applies to us personally. Well, now, what we might do for a few minutes is to take up what is the significance of a name? How have various religious groups gotten their names? In the past, Jehovah has given his servants names according to his specific purpose for them. For example, we remember Abraham. His name originally was Abram, which meant father of exaltation. Now, Jehovah changed his name to Abraham, meaning father of a multitude, to indicate Jehovah's uh, purpose with regard to him, to bless all families of the earth. Now, Sarah's name originally was Sarai, which means contentious. Not a very nice name for a wife. Anyway, Jehovah changed it to Sarah, princess, because out of her were going to come kings and princes. Jacob, we remember, he, uh, his name meant taking hold of the heel or the supplanter. Jehovah changed his name to Israel, meaning contender or one who persevered with God. Well, now, how have Christendom's churches gotten their names? Well, sometimes by the human founder, and sometimes uh, by outsiders or even critics. Sometimes the name of ridicule has eventually been adopted by various church groups. We might take up the name Catholic, which is the largest church group in Christendom. Uh, the term Catholic means universal. And today sometimes you'll find Catholic authorities saying, well, that name was selected to show that the Christian church was universal or international, not limited to any one nationality like the Jewish faith was, to show the universality of the Christian church. However, the name was not adopted, was not known by the apostles or early Christians, nor was it revealed by angels, nor given by divine providence, nor was it a name adopted by church councils. The name Catholic or universal just crept in to early church writings where the writer wanted to distinguish between the entire collective church from the individual churches or congregations. For example, the word Catholic uh, first appears in surviving church literature in a letter to the Smyrnians by Ignatius of Antioch about the year 107 of our common era. Later on, when the great schism took place and the Eastern Orthodox Church broke away, then the term Catholic was used to distinguish between uh, the Western Church and later those uh, of uh, to those of the uh, breakaway, the Orthodox Church. And later, as the Protestant Reformation came along, well, then the name Catholic was used to distinguish those who remained with that church and those who broke away in the Protestant Reformation. Now, we have many Lutheran bodies in the world today. They got their name from their founder, uh, Martin Luther, at least the man who started a group of evangelical churches. Now, Luther didn't like to have his followers called Lutherans. As a matter of fact, uh, he preferred the term evangelical Christians. But eventually, he succumbed to the term and in his own writing said, we Lutherans believe this. Well, the name... Uh, naming an organization after a man, of course, is contrary to Scripture. We might look up 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And uh, here we find, uh, quite interesting, the uh, statement of the Apostle Paul. Reading from verse 3, he says, You are yet fleshly, 
Whereas there are jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly and are you not walking as men do? For when one says, I belong to Paul, but another says, I to Apollos, are you not simply men? So he shows this is contrary to Scripture. Now, there's many Baptist bodies in the world today. This refers to the belief of various religious groups in adult baptism or rebaptism. The name Baptist is taken as a shortened form of the word Anabaptist, which means rebaptizers, and it was a name of disdain used by the Swiss reformer Ulrich Zwingli against his former associates who had adopted adult baptism. Later, the name Baptist was also applied by outside critics to the English Congregationalists who had fled to Holland for freedom to worship there and then applied to various groups who believed in adult baptism who fled to uh, uh, the United States. Uh, the Baptist groups themselves preferred to be called merely Christians or apostolic Christians, but finally they succumbed to accepting this derisive name and they're known as Baptists today. Just one part of their belief. Now the Methodists are another group. They started out as followers of John's John and Charles Wesley at Oxford, England, and the name Methodist was also a name of derision given by outsiders as a taunt because of the way John and Charles Wesley and their followers conducted their lives and study by rule and method. And so they teased them and called them Methodist, and that name is stuck today. Then there was a 17th century group called the Society of Friends, but uh, they and there, during their worship, they used to tremble uh, at, under an awful sense of the infinite purity of God, and so opposers called them in derision Quakers. And the name Quaker is known a lot more today than Society of Friends. Then there are the Seven-Day Adventists. Now, the term Adventist actually has been applied to many different groups who believed in the imminent return of Christ. Now, the large Adventist bodies today originally were called in the early part of the last century Millerites uh, after the founder of the group. And later on, when his expectations didn't prove true, why, uh, uh, then they had some breakups. And the term Adventist was applied to various groups because of their belief in the return of Christ. And then one large group who wanted to be identified and separated from other smaller groups decided to emphasize the keeping of the seven-day Sabbath, and so they attached that to the name and became known as Seven-Day Adventists. And there are other uh, religious groups that are named after men, the Mennonites, uh, named after the Dutch reformer Menno Simons, the Amish, named after a conservative groups of uh, Mennonites uh, who followed Jacob Ammon, and there's the National Churches, the Church of England, the Danish People's Church, the Dutch Reformed Church, the Armenian Church, all sorts of national churches and groups. Now, Jehovah's Witnesses in the past have used various names themselves, and then there have been some derisive nicknames given to them by outsiders. But we're going to see that Jehovah's Witnesses have never given in to these nicknames. Originally, uh, for example, uh, we've used the term Bible student or international Bible student and, of course, Christian. Others have nicknamed us Russellites or Millennial Donists 
or Rutherfordites, or Watchtower people, or because we preached against a burning hell in some areas, we were called no hellers. <laughs> but interesting enough, none of these derisive names have stuck. We have refused to give in and accept the names coined by men, <clears throat> and we've also refused to accept the name of any prominent man in our own group. We're known all over the world today as Jehovah's Witnesses. Now, how did this come about? And is it in harmony with Jehovah's will? Well, now let's take a little look from the Bible as to how the name Christian came about, because the disciples of Jesus were not called Christian in the beginning. The name did not come from outsiders or opposers. Jesus' true followers originally addressed themselves as brothers or the disciples or believers in the Lord, chosen ones, the faithful, the congregation of God, those who call upon the Lord, and all of these were quite adequate as internal designations. And to outsiders, they usually referred to themselves as the way. For example, in Acts uh, chapter 9, and uh, verse 2, when we read about uh, Lucas writing the account here, telling about Saul uh, getting uh, letters to persecute uh, the disciples, verse 2 says that Saul asked uh, for letters to the synagogues in Damascus in order that he might bring bound to Jerusalem any whom he found who belonged to the way, both men and women. That's because the the teaching and embodied the entire way of life. And so they were known as the way. Opposers called the disciples the sect of the Nazarenes, or simply this sect. Well, now how did the name Christian come about? Well, we read in Acts chapter 11, verse 26, after uh, Barnabas had had such good results there and had gone to Tarsus to get Paul to help, Paul returned with him, and verse 26 of chapter 11 says, And after he found him, he brought him to Antioch. It thus came about that for a whole year they gathered together with them in the congregation and taught quite a crowd. And it was first in Antioch that the disciples were by divine providence called Christian. So now, this was about the year uh, 44 of our common era, or 11 years after Pentecost that finally it seemed determined that they should have a name. Now, the New World Translation says they got the name Christian by divine providence. Now, some theologians and Bible commentators say that the name was also a name of derision coined by outsiders. And most translators render Acts 11.26 simply, it was in Antioch that the disciples were first called Christian. Now, why does the New World Translation say by divine providence? Well, it's because the translators take into consideration that when Luke wrote the account and was writing the word called Christian, for the word called, he did not use the secular Greek word krea, which he would have used had the name come from outsiders. But rather, he used the word krematizo. And this word krematizo is only used in the Christian scriptures in connection with the supernatural, such as a calling from God or a warning from God. And so the New World Translation says it was by divine providence. Young's translation states, the, the disciples also were divinely called, first in Antioch, Christians. Now the name Christian would mean a Messiahist, that is, one who believed in Jesus as the Messiah. 
calling them Christian would also indicate that they were following in Christ's footsteps, believing as he did, living as he did, and teaching as he did. Now the disciples had already for some time been publicly preaching Jesus as the Christ or the Messiah, and they had been following in his footsteps. So the name Christian or Messiah, Messianist, would confirm that in preaching Jesus as the Messiah, they were emphasizing what God wanted emphasized at that particular time. Well, then we might take up two questions here. How then did we, or those prior to us back there in 1931, arrive at the name Jehovah's Witnesses? And uh, why wasn't the name Christian good enough? Well, Charles Russell and his friends began their systematic study of the Bible early in the 1870s, searching out truths pertaining to the Lord's return. And they began publishing what they learned in tracts and eventually magazines. And they learned other things pertaining to God's purpose, the ransom, information as to the Lord's return, the, his invisible return. They learned uh, the fact that there was no trinity and there was no burning hell and they learned of God's purpose toward the earth. They learned about the uh, conclusion that is the end of the Gentile times and the setting up of the kingdom there. And these brothers back then traveled around and gave talks. And uh, in order to advertise themselves, they used merely the name that they were Bible students. But the question would arise even back there in the late 1800s, what are you called? What is your name? Well, Brother Russell saw that Christendom's denominationalism and sectarianism was wrong. It was divisive. It was fleshly. And he equated with that denominationalism a specific name and a definite organization. And therefore he held back either from defining a definite organization and also from taking a specific name because he identified that with the divisions of Christendom. For example, in 1882, the Watchtower of April, there was a question, please let me know by what name you people call yourselves, what denomination. And the answer there, we are strictly unsectarian and consequently recognize no sectarian name, believing with Paul that where one says, I'm of Paul or I'm of Apollos or I'm a Baptist or I'm a Methodist, it's an evidence of carnality and consequently in opposition to the Spirit of Christ. If we were baptized into the one body or church of which Jesus is the head, the only name that would be appropriate for us would be the Church of Christ or Christians. But two years later, uh, the Watchtower again presented this question. Many readers are asking us from all parts of the country, by what names do you call yourselves? Are you primitive Baptists? Are you missionary Baptists? Are you universalists? And so on. And Brother Russell first said, we belong to no earthly organization. Well, then by what name may this church be called? We answer, after the name of its founder, Church of Christ or Christian. In 1888, the Watchtower took this question up again. Uh, a woman wrote in and said, I have quite a curiosity to know by what name your church is called. And the answer, we do not separate ourselves from other Christians by taking any distinctive or particular name were satisfied with the name Christian by which the early saints were known. Well, the matter seems to have gone on for several years, 
the brothers were known as Bible students, Christians. And then in the Watchtower of April 1st, 1910, uh, we read the following. For many years, the dear friends who regularly meet all over the world for the study of God's Word and using Watchtower publications have been perplexed to know how to advertise themselves. We have continually warned against everything simulating sectarianism and churchianity, but we have been at a loss to know what to suggest to the friends as to a name. Now, in the Lord's providence, we thought of a title suitable, we believe, to the Lord's people everywhere and free from objection, we believe, on every score. The title is International Bible Students Association. So that was the name officially established by 1910. And then in the Watchtower of January 1st, 1913, we get a little uh, review of this group called International Bible Students Association. And uh, then comes the closest to a definition of faith for the Bible students, an identity of their beliefs. Brother Russell wrote, There are no limitations as to membership, except such as could properly be applied to any true Christian. Faith in God as the great Creator and Heavenly Father, faith in the Lord Jesus Christ as the world's Redeemer, faith in the Bible that it's the inspired message of God and a clean and honorable life. So here we have defined the total, as you might say, statement of doctrine or expression of faith for the Bible students. Well, then later on, uh, after World War I, Brother Rutherford, uh, Russell had died, Brother Rutherford became president. The question came, began to come in again, what name should we use? And in the February 1st, 1919 issue of the Watchtower, it stated many inquiries have recently been received in respect to what name we should continue to use. We believe that the name which the Lord has been blessing uh, the society under so effectually is International Bible Students Association. So they had a name and it identified them a little distinctly from the other churches. However, developments following World War I and the things the brothers learned pertaining to the significance of the time and things they experienced themselves made a more definite name necessary. As I mentioned, Brother Russell died in 1916 and a division arose among the Bible students after his death. Some refused to cooperate with the Watchtower group and the International Bible students. They claimed to stick only to what Brother Russell wrote, and they opposed the work of the other Bible students, and they took such names as Bible students, Associated Bible students, or Russellites teaching the truth as propounded by Pastor Russell. Well, in many instances, this caused a confusion of identities with Jehovah's true people and therefore a more distinct name was necessary. Now, another factor is that there were all manner of Bible students in the world. There were many Bible students bound by Christendom's divisive creeds. There were fundamentalist Bible students. There were modernist Bible students. There were deist Bible students. And besides, Christ's true followers on earth must be more than mere Bible students. Now, the name Christian was proper to use. It was given the disciples in the first century by divine providence, and the international Bible students truly followed in Christ's teaching, so they could rightly use the name Christian. 
However, this name Christian was now claimed by so many differing and conflicting religions of Christendom, all professing many unbiblical teachings, ceremonies, and standards of conduct. Well, in order to distinguish themselves from all of these millions of nominal Christians, there had to be a name that would distinctly identify Christ's true followers today. And further, they now needed a name which more properly identified their position before God as well as their position toward the world. Now, in this regard, it's useful for us to see how the situation that developed there uh, during World War I made an even greater need for a distinct name. God's kingdom had been established in the heavens in the hands of his son Christ Jesus in 1914 and the good news of that world-shaking event had to be preached throughout all the world as a witness unto all nations as Jesus had said in Matthew 24:14. Secondly, the brothers had begun to see that the primary issue facing mankind was the vindication of Jehovah's name and that his name and purpose had to be made known among all the nations this had to proclaimed, uh, be proclaimed far and wide. For example, they could read in Psalm 83, 18, this uh, well-known scripture, people, that people may know that you whose name is Jehovah, you are the, alone are the most high over all the earth. And another scripture that the brothers had become quite familiar with was from Ezekiel, uh, actually repeated many times in the prophecy of Ezekiel, but we'll read 30, chapter 36 and verse 23, where it states, I shall certainly sanctify my great name, which was being profaned among the nations, which you profaned in the midst of them. And the nations will have to know that I am Jehovah, is the utterance of the sovereign Lord Jehovah. So the nations are going to have to know about Jehovah's name. Well, after World War I, increasing emphasis had been placed upon the divine name and uh, could be seen as a result of the Bible studies uh, being carried on by the faithful and discreet slave. Uh, from 1926, the first article in every issue of the uh, Watchtower, the January 1st issue from 1926 until 1931, carried articles dealing with Jehovah's name, who will honor Jehovah, Jehovah and his works, I will praise my God, and so on. Now, this very important message pertaining to the vindication of Jehovah's name and also pertaining to the establishment of the kingdom should obviously come from God. It shouldn't be a message that would come from a man, Judge Rutherford, or from one or another Bible society or association or corporation. Further, our brother saw that Jehovah's servants in the past who did his will were called, in Hebrews 12, 1, a great crowd of witnesses. They saw that Jesus was called, in Revelation 3, 14, the faithful and true witness. And they uh, were acquainted with reading these words at Isaiah 43, which Brother Rutherford recalled to mind that night. He began working on this whole idea of adopting the name. Isaiah chapter 43, and reading from verse 10, states, you are my witnesses is the utterance of Jehovah, even my servant whom I have chosen, in order that you may know and have faith in me, and that, I, that you may understand that I am the same one. Before me there was no God formed, and after me there continued to be none. I am Jehovah, and besides me there is no Savior. 
I myself have told forth and have saved and have caused it to be heard when there was among you no strange God. So you are my witnesses is the utterance of Jehovah, and I am God. So these were the things that the brothers had been thinking about and talking about. So this led up to the International Convention held at Columbus, Ohio, July 24th to 30th, 1931. The public talk was given at 12 noon that Sunday, and then all the brothers were urged to come back for a special meeting at 4 o'clock in the afternoon. Brother Rutherford then addressed them, and after explaining about the restoration of true worship, which had taken place from the 1870s, he explained the way that Jehovah had used Brother Russell and also the Watchtower Bible and Tract Society and the International Bible Students Association. And after explaining about the various names which had been applied to them by others, Brother Rutherford said, in order to make our true position known, and believing this is in harmony with the will of God, be it resolved as follows. Then he presented the resolution. We have great love for Brother Ruther uh, Russell for his work's sake. We acknowledge that the Lord has greatly used him, but we cannot consistently with the word of God consent to be called by the name Russellites. And then he went on to explain why also the terms Watchtower people or international Bible students were merely names of corporations and were not suitable names. He went on to show that although we are students of the Bible, we're more than that. So we decline to assume or be called by the name Bible students. He says we need a name which will identify our proper position before the Lord. And so he concluded the resolution, having been bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Redeemer, justified and begotten by Jehovah God and called to his kingdom, we unhesitatingly declare our entire allegiance and devotion to Jehovah God and his kingdom, that we are servants of Jehovah God, commissioned to do a work in his name and in obedience to his commandment, to deliver the testimony of Jesus Christ and to make known to the people that Jehovah is the true and almighty God. Therefore, we joyfully embrace and take the name which the mouth of the Lord God has named, and we desire to be known as and called by the name Jehovah's Witnesses. And that was a very thrilling time for the brothers there. The, uh, they enthusiastically adopted that uh, resolution. They were really electrified, you might say, on that occasion. And then during the weeks and months following, other follow-up conventions were held in other parts of the country and other parts of the world. And also, individual congregations where a portion of the brothers were unable to attend these conventions presented and adopted similar resolutions pertaining to the name, so both at follow-up conventions and individual congregations. I remember uh, I was still uh, in school uh, as a young boy, but back there in 1931 in the little group that we had there in Eastern Oregon and Le Grand, the group met together and the name Jehovah's Witnesses was adopted by that group and then a notification of this was sent in to the society. Well, letters from congregations and individuals and conventions streamed in from all parts of the world, expressing not only appreciation for the name, but also the enthusiasm, the brothers, and their willingness to take on the responsibility. Now further, Arrangements were made to send this vital information as to our new name to government officials, judges, lawyers, clergy, and businessmen throughout the world. So the resolution was printed in a booklet together 
with the public talk in the book that was entitled The Kingdom, The Hope of the World. Now, these uh, booklets were distributed in many languages throughout North and South America, Africa, Europe, and Asia. For example, in the yearbook uh, for 1932, we read that uh, not only did all clergy and government official, uh, officials in uh, Denmark uh, receive a copy of this booklet, but the branch servant himself had an interview with King Christian X, gave him a witness, presented him with his copy of the booklet. France reported a copy of the French booklet, The Kingdom, The Hope of the World, was sent to the President of the French Republic, cabinet ministers, senators, deputies, magistrates, army officers, and clergymen from cardinals down to parish priests. And the booklet was widely distributed from house to house. India reported that it spent, they took most of 1932 to get this booklet translated into all the different vernacular languages, but uh, by then they were able to distribute this in such languages as Urdu, Gujarati, and Hindi, and uh, Malayalam, and Tamil. So they were able to distribute 7,000 English copies and nearly 15,000 in their other languages, of which 2,400 were distributed to Christendom's church leaders. South Africa had a territory that spread clear up to Central Africa over uh, 2,000 miles, and they mentioned in all the countries under their territory, the witnesses visited every clergyman, politician, and big businessman in the territory. Well, then they had a problem in South Africa with the members of parliament. These government officials are hard to contact. Well, the brothers knew that at a certain time during the year, the entire government and all members of parliament moved from Cape Town, the legislative capital, up to Pretoria, the administrative capital. And they ride on a special train. So at just the right moment when these men were waiting on the platform in Cape Town uh, at the railroad station, along came our brothers and gave each one of them a copy. So uh, they had a trip of about a thousand miles on the train, an opportunity to look at the booklet. Well, a lot of other things could be told. Recently in the Watchtower, a first-person story of a pioneer sister, she told about how she went to all the clergy in her territory that she was assigned to, and at one particular place, she recalled, the clergyman was very uh, nasty and said he didn't want it, but she says, well, this copy is for you, and she just laid it right down on the little table inside the entryway of his house and turned and walked away. Well, in a few seconds, she heard this booklet come whistling by her ear and fall on the ground as the clergyman had tossed it after her. Well, it, it fell there just about coming into the mud, and she didn't like to see it there, so she leaned over to pick it up, and then along came the clergyman's vicious dog, grabbed up this booklet, and took it back into the house. <laughs> so, <clears throat> we don't know what he thought about that. <clears throat> anyway, back to the question. Was the taking of this name merely a stroke of genius on the part of Brother Rutherford, as uh, author Sterling stated, or as Brother Macmillan indicated, uh, does it appear that uh, there was special direction and inspiration of Jehovah's Spirit? Well, remember now, a name has a purpose, and it might be an indication of approval of a direction that Jehovah's servants had been taking. It could also be an indication of a course they should take in the future. Well, now, is that true with regard to Jehovah's Witnesses? Well, let's take a look first at what Jehovah's Witnesses had been doing for many years. Going clear back to August of 1879, Zion's Watchtower made this statement 
uh, Zion's Watchtower has, we believe, Jehovah for its backer. So it identified itself with Jehovah. And uh, several times during the years, the publications refer to Jehovah as the name of the sovereign of the universe. Now, especially after World War I, the brothers began to be more clearly aware of their need to honor Jehovah's name and of their responsibility in that regard. For example, we've heard many times quotations from the talk Brother Rutherford gave entitled The Kingdom uh, back there at Cedar Point, Ohio on September 8, 1922. Remember when he says, advertise, advertise, advertise the king and the kingdom. Well, in that same talk, Brother Rutherford read from Isaiah 43, verses 8 to 12. That's where Jehovah says, you are my witnesses. And then he stated, Thus we see that those of the temple class are clearly designated as the Lord's witnesses at this time to bring a message of consolation to the people that the kingdom is here, that God purposes that his name shall be magnified, that the people shall know that he is the Lord. Thus we see that God purposes to have a people on the earth standing as his witnesses, fearlessly crying out the message, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So we can see already from this, the idea of their being witnesses for God wasn't a new or sudden idea that Brother Rutherford got. Some years later, in the January 1926 issue of the Watchtower, or January 1st, 1926 issue of the Watchtower, the statement was made, the time approaches when God will make for himself a name. God will have somebody to be his witnesses. And who could we expect would have this privilege? Surely none other than Zion, God's organization, some members of which are on earth. To such, Jehovah says, Ye are my witnesses, saith the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen. Six months later, in the July 15th issue of the Watchtower, there was a report there on the, Colum the London Convention, where they had had a large service day activity. And notice what the Watchtower reported on that service. Nothing like this has ever been known on service day at any convention. The friends were bubbling over with enthusiasm. They felt that they'd done their best to obey the command of Jehovah, ye are my witnesses that I am God. So they were getting the idea. They were building it up. Uh, the month later, in the August 1st issue of the Watchtower, 1926, dealing with uh, Isaiah chapter 6, where Jehovah says, whom shall I send? And Isaiah says, Here am I, send me. The watchtower went on. As flashes of light have come to the temple class, they have appreciated this light and have rejoiced. They have appreciated the fact that God has said to them, Ye are my witnesses. Go and tell the people that Jehovah is God, that Christ Jesus is his king, and that he is now upon his throne, that the kingdom is at hand. So here, continually, the Watchtower was urging the brothers to be aware of their responsibility to be witnesses. A year later, October 15, 1927, issue of the Watchtower, there was printed a report on the Toronto, uh, Canada Convention of July and the resolution that was adopted there. Now, this resolution starts out this way, to the peoples of Christendom. The international Bible students in general convention assembled send greetings as Christians, and notice this, and witnesses to the name of Jehovah God, we deem it our privilege and duty to call to your attention the following vital facts. 
So they were aware of the fact that they were witnesses. A month later, the Watchtower again referred to the fact God will serve notice on Christendom. Who is he going to use? He's going to use his faithful anointed servants. He says, you are my witnesses. And again in 1929 and 1930, in all I found... In 25 Watchtower articles from 1922 to 1930, it was emphasized time and again that Jehovah's servants should be his witnesses. They weren't thinking of a name, of course, during these years. They were thinking of a responsibility, of an obligation to get out there and bear witness to Jehovah's name. And they had been increasingly participating in this preaching work. It was during those years that all the Bible students were encouraged to do house-to-house work. It was during those years that service in the field was arranged at all conventions. It was during those years of the 20s that resolutions drawing attention to Jehovah's name and kingdom were distributed by the millions. Now, these things that I've mentioned have all the evidence that Jehovah's Spirit was leading his people towards getting the understanding that they should adopt the name Jehovah's Witnesses. It does become obvious from this that the idea of the name Jehovah's Witnesses was not just a sudden thought that Jehovah gave Brother Rutherford there that night uh, some months prior to the 1931 convention. The name did not come by sudden divine inspiration, but surely, gradually, by divine providence. Clearly, the getting of this name from Jehovah followed many years of already bearing witness to his name and purpose. And as we look back, we can certainly see that it was an indication as to how Jehovah was going to use his people in the years to come, as we look at it today. Well, now the question, has the name stuck? Well, it's, that's really obvious, isn't it? When Brother Rutherford died back in 1942, quite a few journalists and clergymen were rejoicing and saying, well, now Jehovah's Witnesses are going to fall apart and their organization will dissolve. Well, one woman journalist made this statement. She said that when the Watchtower people took the new name, Jehovah's Witnesses, in 1931, she had said that the name would not stick. But now here, 11 years later, she says, I've been wrong about that. So she says, I, now that Rutherford is no longer with the organization, I'm not going to make any more prophecies about the Watchtower Society of Jehovah's Witnesses. While many have said the organization will go to pieces, I would not venture that statement. I would rather wait and see what happens. Well, she made that statement over 40 years ago, and even then could see it. Now, back in 1931, the August 15th issue of a, a weekly church magazine, uh, or rather, of a church magazine called the Lutheran Standard, had a little article under the heading, Those Russellites. And it stated here, they've changed their name again, those Russellites. <laughs> like the criminal with a number of aliases, this religious outfit is really hard to keep up with. From hence more, from henceforth, but not forever, the erstwhile Russellites, then international Bible students, are to be known for a while as Jehovah's Witnesses. Well, it's been more than a while. I dare say more people know the name Jehovah's Witnesses than know the Lutheran Standard. But uh, anyway, the name did stick. Back in 1936, in Webster's uh, Dictionary, there was no entry for the name Jehovah's Witnesses. But current editions of dictionaries and encyclopedias all over the world, in all major languages, have entries explaining that Jehovah's Witnesses are a religious group that witness to beliefs in the theocratic rule of God and the imminent millennium. As a matter of fact, 
in uh, the 1971 edition of Webster's New International Dictionary, I found this interesting entry. Under the name Jehovah God, in uh, just lowercase letters, no caps, it states, a supreme deity recognized and the only deity worshipped by Jehovah's Witnesses. So that's the way they identify Jehovah. Of course, a name might stick by reason of good publicity and clever manipulating of the media. More important is what those who have taken on the name have done during those years. Well, when the name was adopted in 1931, our work was carried on by about 50,000 Bible students or witnesses in 38 lands. Today, there's more than 3 million Jehovah's Witnesses actively preaching Jehovah's name and purposes in more than 200 lands. Now, during the past service year alone, more than 300 million pieces of Bible literature in nearly 200 languages explaining Jehovah's name and purposes have been distributed. Also, we've held, held conventions all over the world through the years, and newspaper accounts of our conventions have uh, pushed Jehovah's name to the fore. There's also on record in countless court cases in our fight for freedom of worship the testimony to the name and purpose of Jehovah. Now, in answering the question, have we lived up to the name Jehovah's Witnesses, we might take a look at the faithful and discreet slave associated with the Watchtower Society. First of all, Jehovah's name has been emphasized in the Watchtower. It's being a part of its name. The Watchtower announcing Jehovah's Kingdom is the full name of the magazine. We've presented such books as Vindication, Jehovah, Let Your Name Be Sanctified, The Nations Shall Know That I Am Jehovah, The Brochure, The Divine Name That Will Endure Forever. There's another indication. Jehovah's Witnesses, of course, and the Bible students uh, before them have primarily made use of the King James Version Bible. But that only had the name Jehovah in about six different places. And therefore they made use of another Bible translation called the American Standard Version, which was published in 1903. And uh, this American Standard Version used the name in nearly all the places in the Hebrew Scriptures where it was in the original text. Well, back in 1943, the Society heard that this translation was going to go out of print, and it was going to be replaced by the Revised Standard Version, which would delete the name Jehovah in every place. So the Society immediately contacted Thomas Nelson and Sons, the publishers of this translation, purchased from them the plates and the rights to print the American Standard Bible translation on its own presses uh, to preserve the name of Jehovah in the scriptures and to support, uh, to carry out their obligation as witnesses of Jehovah. In the late 1940s, a group of faithful anointed brothers, all Jehovah's Witnesses, in close cooperation with the governing body, began producing the New World Translation of the Holy Scriptures in several volumes, both to get a more accurate understanding of the scriptures and also to restore the divine name. And today, the New World Translation is published in many different languages. It has uh, reproduced the divine name in the 6,973 places in the Hebrew Scriptures and 237 places in the uh, Christian Greek Scriptures. So it's obvious that the society, the faithful and discreet slave associated therewith, have lived up to the name. Now, what about us as individuals? Well, in order to keep the way open for witnessing, uh, Jehovah's people have continued and forced court cases, and many cases regarding house-to-house -house witnessing and other things have 
have been fought throughout the world, and Jehovah's name has been recorded in these cases. Since the 1930s, the uh, issue of neutrality began to come out. The issue of the flag salute, uh, first in Nazi Germany, and then later on in the United States. And uh, this issue also required Jehovah's Witnesses to take a stand, make their position known, and court cases were carried on, and the name was announced in newspapers in connection with that. And then the issue of neutrality, which really became more prominent in Nazi Germany and spread to other countries in the United States as far as participation in war. And Jehovah's Witnesses became identified with strict neutrality on that position. And even long after the war, various enlightened countries in Europe and some other parts of the world have decided to exempt the Jehovah's Witnesses from military service because they can see they're not acting in protest to the government, but in accord with a conscience to a higher authority. So Sweden, some years ago, the Swedish parliament uh, exempted all Jehovah's Witnesses from military service as long as they could prove that they were in fact Jehovah's Witnesses. And so other religious groups, of course, thought, well, that's not fair. We want all our young men to be free as well. And so they went to the Minister of Defense and said, we want to also have that same exemption. The Minister of Defense stated, when your people have spent a total of 960 years in prison in support of their beliefs, as have Jehovah's Witnesses, come back and talk to us. <laughs> so it showed that Jehovah's Witnesses weren't just looking for an out, they'd lived up to it, and they were willing to go to prison for it. In 1973, the issue of neutrality came up in Israel, and it resulted in many of our brothers there having to endure uh, rather inhuman treatment in, in prisons. And this got a great deal of publicity in the national press and radio newscasts. The branch reported on this. In connection with these news reports, the divine name Jehovah appeared in the newspapers and was heard on the radio probably for the first time. Although the Tetragrammaton is in the Hebrew Bible and other religious literature, it is never written in secular publications or pronounced under any circumstances. And yet, when they had news reports about Jehovah's Witnesses, they had to pronounce the name and had to say it. And in this way, Jehovah's Witnesses have certainly lived up to their name. We read uh, recently in the Watchtower about uh, young school children in India. Well, we know we're a few thousand witnesses there, and a great effort has been put forth to make Jehovah's name known there. But there's uh, 700 million people there in India, so how do you get a hold of everyone? Well, at least there were a, a few young school children in India that were expelled for not singing the national anthem. And they, they were expelled from the schools. This got the newspaper. The matter was taken up into the lower courts and the superior courts into the Supreme Court. And this resulted in the case being reported on in all of the national newspapers of India. So a witness given to the faithfulness of Jehovah's servants, as well as to his name, was given throughout all of India. Of course, even on an individual scale, Jehovah's name has been made known. There have been many experiences, like the one I'm going to tell you, but I'm going to outline this one about a little year, five-year-old girl named Jessica, who had to go to a sanatorium in northern Germany. And uh, she'd only been there a couple of days or three, and the parents received a call from the supervisor and asked if they were Jehovah's Witnesses. And they said, yes, but why do you ask? Well, they noticed when Jessica came there, she wouldn't eat. The second day went by, she still didn't eat. They thought, well, she's homesick. Third day, they served chocolate pudding. 
She still didn't eat, so they knew something must be wrong here. So they asked her what was the matter. Well, she said that uh, at home, before we eat, why they always say thanks to God and, and pray to him. Well, the supervisor figured, all right, we can do that. So he prayed and thanked God for the food, and Jessica still wouldn't eat. And well, why was that? Well, she told the supervisor that you have to pray to Jehovah. That's his name. And he says, well, I pray to God. Does it make any difference? She says, well, you don't like it if people don't use your name. And she says, God has a name, and it's Jehovah, and uh, we should pray to him. Well, the supervisor thought he could do that. So when the young uh, patients there were gathered for their meal, he prayed to Jehovah and thanked for the meal, and she still wouldn't eat. And uh, then he learned that, well, it had to also be in Jesus' name. And so finally, the supervisor got it all together. And uh, for several weeks, as long as Jesse was there, he was praying to Jehovah in Jesus' name and thanking for the meal, and Jessica ate. <coughs> well, Jehovah's name has come to the fore on the issue of blood. People can't even think of the term blood transfusion without thinking of Jehovah's Witnesses. And also on the sanctity of life. Our position is very well known also on the matter of abortion. Even though every year it is said that... Uh, Millions and millions of lives are snuffed out by abortion. Jehovah's Witnesses maintain faithfulness on that issue. Well, some people say, well, the Catholic Church is against abortion as well. That's true, and the lives that they may save by not having abortions, they usually manage to kill on the battlefield, so it doesn't really show any regard for the sanctity of life. Jehovah's name has come to the fore on the matter of clean morals, on good standards, on honesty in many parts of the world. They're known for living up to the name. They're known for showing love to their neighbor. And uh, they're known for actively preaching the good news of the kingdom. For example, some years ago, a brother, W.R. Brown, originally from Jamaica and had worked some years in Trinidad, uh, was sent to West Africa. And he preached there for more than 25 years, opened up the work, in Nigeria and Ghana and all these West African countries. He was known as Bible Brown. Well, eventually, because of his age and health, Brother Brown and his wife returned to Trinidad. But in 1960, the government, the nation of Nigeria, proclaimed its independence and had certain independent celebrations. And the uh, governor general had invited to Nigeria a lot of individuals who had played a large part in contributing to the high morals and the upbuilding of the Nigerians. And interesting enough, Brother Brown and his wife were invited from Trinidad, and their way was paid on an airplane. When they got to Nigeria, a car and a chauffeur was made available for them during their stay there. Now, regarding Brother Brown, Dr. Azakiwi, the Governor General at that time, said, I've known Mr. and Mrs. Brown for about 30 years. They have added greatly to the spiritual upbuilding of our people in Nigeria. If all the religious denominations were like Jehovah's Witnesses, we would have no murders, no burglaries, no delinquencies, no prisoners, no atomic bombs. Doors would not be locked day in and day out. Now that's a fine testimony that Jehovah's people have lived up to his name. There's a few other quotations here. Up in Madison, Wisconsin, there's a church publication called the Herald Citizen. And Catholic priest Andrew Brynus 
uh, wrote a little note uh, after two of Jehovah's Witnesses called it his rectory. And to this Catholic newspaper, he said, I've always been impressed by the zeal of Jehovah's Witnesses. No matter how recent their admission to the society, they immediately began making house calls to spread the good news. He went on to say that they're putting God's work ahead of their own interests and convenience. God held the first place in their lives. And he added, I wonder how many of us Catholics can match their tireless zeal for evangelization. They go from house to house because they've accepted God's call, not only for their own salvation, but also to share the good news with others. So he testifies that this is something that uh, is characteristic of Jehovah's Witnesses. In England, a Dr. Christine King uh, in a book that she wrote for her degree uh, of five case studies in nonconformity, uh, took up the matter of Jehovah's Witnesses under the Nazis. She says Jehovah's Witnesses remain neutral. They were honest and completely trustworthy, and as such, ironically, often found themselves employed as servants of the SS. One SS officer commented that only a Jehovah's Witness could be trusted to shave his master with a cut-and-throat razor without wielding the razor to the most violent ends. It would be so easy to slip, but uh, the only ones they could trust with that razor on their throat were Jehovah's Witnesses. In Time magazine... Back in 1963, a Catholic priest wrote a little article entitled Believer or Pagan. And he said, when I look out into the marketplace, I can no longer distinguish the believer from the pagan. Oh, I can distinguish the Jehovah's Witnesses, but not the followers of traditional churches. Again, a good witness. The French news agency, Moscow Bureau, wrote the following back in 1981. The religious sect of Jehovah's Witnesses appears to be worrying leaders of the Soviet Union's ideological front. Several anti-religious publications have recently revealed that many young Soviet citizens are joining this sect which is banned in Jehovah's Witnesses. The article stated, Witnesses are criticized harshly for their indifference to Soviet social life. They do not join the Communist Party or trade unions or vote in elections. On the other hand, Notice this. Believers show impressive energy in spreading the good news of their faith, for missionary zeal is the duty of each witness. Our brothers are living up to the name. In Colombia, South America, the newspaper El Espectador made this statement. While the apostolic Roman Catholic religion continues to decline, other religious sects progress at an accelerated speed. In Colombia, for example, the community known as Jehovah's Witnesses grows daily, obtaining more followers. Even though we do not belong to Jehovah's Witnesses, we can affirm that these Christians are distinguished by their honesty, their respect for others, their preoccupation for the acquisition of useful knowledge. Over in Italy, the newspaper La Stampa said, Jehovah's Witnesses are the most loyal citizens anyone could wish for. They do not dodge taxes or seek to evade inconvenient laws for their own profit. The moral ideals of love for neighbor, refusal of power, nonviolence, and personal honesty enter into their daily way of life. So both on the matter of morals and on the matter of preaching, Jehovah's Witnesses are well known. Professor C.S. Braden, who wrote the book, uh, They Have Found a Faith, stated, Jehovah's Witnesses have literally covered the earth with their witnessing. It may be truly said that no single religious group in the world displayed more zeal and persistence in the attempt to spread the good news of the kingdom than Jehovah's Witnesses. 
In uh, Monterey, Mexico, a newspaper said, what a profound respect for the steadfastness and courage and conviction of Jehovah's Witnesses. Even though their children are expelled from school, they prefer to remain loyal to their faith. How would it be if all of us Catholics were that way, without distinction of group and denomination? Why, Mexico would be the branch office of heaven. So here's all of these testimonies and evidences of the fact that our brothers are living up to the name Jehovah's Witnesses. It isn't only a name that they took and proclaimed, it's something they live. And not only in their good morals and good Christian conduct, but in their zeal in preaching the good news of the kingdom.